if you could combine three comics past or present into one super comic, uh, what three would you pick? Or like at least who are the three that made you feel something as you as you uh, were coming up and admire now? God. Is that a deep question? That's a, such a better question than Mount Rushmore. God bless you. Um, give me. Don't be afraid to take chances. No fear. Roy Wood Jr. My guest on this episode of Passing the Torch is Roy Wood Jr. He is a comedian and Emmy-nominated documentary producer for the PBS documentary, The Neutral Ground. He was also a correspondent on Comedy Central's Emmy-nominated The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And he's the host of Comedy Central's award-winning podcast, The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes. In spring of 2023, Wood guest-hosted The Daily Show and headlined the White House Correspondents' Dinner to its highest rating since 2017. Forbes declared him as one of comedy's best journalists. Entertainment Weekly has described his thought-provoking comedy as charismatic crankiness, and Variety Magazine named him one of 10 comics to watch in 2016. Wood began his comedy career in 1998 at age 19 while attending Florida A&M University. In 2006, he debuted on network television on The Late Show with David Letterman. In 2008, he appeared on HBO's historic Deaf Comedy Jam. Lastly, he also has performed on numerous USO tours for our troops stationed everywhere from Guam to Iraq to the Philippines. I want to provide some context. I've been working to get Roy on my podcast for six years, but our relationship, our friendship goes back to 2010 when he was an up-and-coming comic. And I used to drive down to L.A. just to watch his shows. He has worked hard for his success, and I could not be more proud. I have wanted him on Passing the Torch because he is a shining example that hard work and persistence pays off. Without further ado, Passing the Torch with Roy Wood Jr. starts now. I started following you or learned about you from last comic standing. And then, and I remember I'm still pissed. You finished third. Jesus Christ. Whoa. That is a throwback. Well, what's crazy is I remember after the season ended, you guys did a, the five, the final five, you guys did a tour and, and one of the show, I think the first show was at the Staples center or one of the, the Nokia theater or whatever close by Nokia. Yeah. 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 And I remember afterward, you know, all you guys were hanging out outside, just talking. And my wife and I talked to you for maybe 20 minutes. And at that time, no one knew who you were. Like people weren't, I'm sure now people would mob you, right? Or you'd probably get more stopped more often. But we talked to you for 20 minutes. And it was hilarious because I remember we were talking about, I, I felt like I could tell you were censored really, or limited on the jokes you could make on NBC, right? On the show. Yeah. And I remember you had this uh, whole bit about uh, a fast food restaurant that served five piece chicken nuggets. And I knew you were talking about Wendy's, but you couldn't say that on the, but just say it. Yeah. But it was just funny to talk to me about that. And then, so that was in 2010, I think. And then, so I've, I've been following you since after, uh, since last comma standing and before Sullivan and son. And then when I was deployed to the middle East and I'm, uh, I was there, I was there a couple, a couple different times. So my years kind of, my years get mixed up, but before Sullivan's son, and son premiered you uh we were chatting on facebook and you sent me a care package you mailed me a package just different things to include some of your con like some of your content that you had given me for free and swag and all that which was cool 
And then oh, yeah, the Sullivan, all the Sullivan, yeah, random prank CDs and stuff. So that was in 2012 or 2013. I, I forget, but it was before Sullivan and Son premiered. And then a couple years later, uh, so I'm in Dayton, Ohio right now. That's my second time living here. The last time I lived here, you came through on a tour and you did a show at the Dayton Funny Bone. So my wife and I went with some friends of ours and and I thought you were going to call us out in the crowd because we were with an interracial couple and you were making uh, you made a joke about interracial couples. And I was like, man, he's going to call on us. You ended up calling on the table behind us because they had two <laughs> interracial couples. But either way, either way, uh, you did a meet greet after the show. And I was like, Roy, hey, what's up, man? And you, you were kind of looking at me. And, like you didn't remember my name, but like familiar. I was like, I'm the military guy that you sent that care package to. And it was like, oh, snap. And then so that was cool. And we chatted cool, for a sir. few minutes. And then again, just stayed in touch over the years. And then a couple of years ago, when you were doing Roy's, Roy's job fair, you had me on that as well to talk about the military. That might have been in 2020 or 2021. I don't, I don't remember exactly. The horrors of 2020 are what drove me to create the job fair <laughs> for 21. That's all that. I, you know, that's the context before uh, of everything since, you know, how we know each other. And I've been following you ever since. And you've always been so kind to me. And just uh, you and, and Jacqueline Mil uh, Miller, just shout out to her. But just uh, thank you, Roy. I appreciate you. And it's awesome to see. It's not your overnight success. It's like your 20 years in the making success. I'm happy to be on the ride still. And I'm more importantly, I'm happy you got back from the Middle East safely. Jeez. I ended up on USO tours, ironically. So we missed long. each other like by a week. You came to the place I was deployed to, and I missed you by like less than a week. And I was. Uh, Were you Bering or um, Camp Bering in Kuwait? I did. Uh, so I was in Kuwait and I did some time there. I was also at Camp Arab, John Kuwait. So I missed the I missed you guys, and then yeah, like shortly before F that yeah. was the cast of Spartacus, and so I was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> no disrespect to Spartacus, but we're funnier. Yeah, you guys are funnier. Yeah, I'm sure they're good people. That cast of Spartacus. <laughs> hey, so all that to say, explain why is life great right now? Uh, it's it's a blessing. I'm sitting in Canada, bro, doing jokes in strange places which in a weird way takes me back to like that year one year two it feels like iron man three where he like just doesn't have the suit and has to figure out how to do the job all over again from scratch <laughs> like like it's it's that it's figuring out the city figuring out the locals and like comedy is a job. Comedy is interesting in that it's a job that you never feel like you know whether or not you're still doing it well, even when you're doing it. So to finally be in a place where, oh, I can still do this. Whew. Thank God. I thought I sucked again. <laughs> Has been a bit of a relief. That's interesting because to me, uh, when did you start comedy? Like in the early 2000s, right? 98 98 okay so a lot has changed since that time but just from what you've seen personally how has the industry changed since you first came onto the scene um for me i think that the idea of there being a singular linear path to whatever we want to define as stardom no longer exists and that paradigm shift needs to be acknowledged and accepted as truth instead of 
being constantly written off as an anomaly. Andrew Schultz and Matt Reif are two of the highest selling global comedians right now. Neither of them have a hit sitcom. Neither of them have a hit movie. It's just grind and meeting the fans where they are and the streets deciding, yeah, you're worth $40. I'm going to come see or it's 60 or whatever they charge. So I think that's the thing that's different now. It used to be, I need to get in TV to get in film, to be a star to then I tour, then everyone likes me and then everyone, but now you can just go straight to the fans. And if the fans like you now, you can just go and go tour and you can skip all of the other stuff. You know, I think we're in a world where scripted television and late night and movies and all of that, it is a it is an avenue, but it is not the only path. You know, entertainment now, to me, in a lot of ways, it's like when you're at the grocery store and there's one checkout lane open and then a cashier opens up another lane. And then a bunch of people leave your line to go get in that line. Imagine being in a singular line at the grocery store and now seven different lanes have opened all at once. And there's TikTok. That's a way with the idea that stardom is what's on the other side of the register or fan base or whatever you define as success. Instagram lane is open. Traditional touring lane is open. YouTube lane just open. Podcasting lane just open. So There's a million different ways to reach people and convince them that you are worth their time and money. At the end of the day, that's all any of this shit is about. Getting people's time in exchange for some of their money. Sit and watch my show. Go to the theater and watch my movie. Listen to my podcast. Come to my live comedy show. So, It's about convincing people that you are above and beyond everything else that is out there, you know, and because there are more direct to consumer models to reaching people, it's a lot more competitive. So I think comedy in a way is no longer being able to be gate kept by the industry people who decide who the next stars are. The streets decide who the stars are now. Only reason only reason most of these artists now still need an agency is because the agencies are in bed with Ticketmaster and Ticketmaster controls all the good venues where you can go make money. If not for that, then we really would be a wide open uh, situation. So would you consider that with uh, all the traveling you've done over the years, hard work and consistency? Is that like what you've learned most, at least in the past couple of years? Or is there something else that when you reflect back that, you know, if someone asks you, like, what have you learned most? What would that be? Well, I'll tell you what hasn't changed since 98 is that you still have to have good jokes and you still have to have a point of view. So in the midst of all of this flux, at the end of the day, you still have to be able to do something that connects with people. And if you can make them laugh, great. But if you can make them feel, then you're really in a good position. That's kind of where I am. That, that, so that's kind of where I am now, you know? You, you talked about, like, feeling, because I think about all the comics that I love. Big fan of you, right? And I've seen uh, a couple of your shows in person, watched a lot of your content online. Dave Chappelle, like, uh, even going back to, like, Gary Carlin, or uh, George Carlin, there's a certain comics, like, they're 
they're not just going up there and telling like, you know, a certain joke. They're they're telling stories, right? And like he said, giving their point of view. But if you could combine three comics past or present into one super comic, uh, what three would you pick? Or like at least who are the three that made you feel something as you as you uh, were coming up and admire now? Is that a deep question? That's a such a better question than Mount Rushmore. God bless you. Um Give me Sinbad, Sinbad's relatability and universality. That's not a word, but it is now his ability to his comedy can reach three. He's one of the few comics where there could be a granddad, a dad and the grandson all together. At the show, give me Sinbad's reachability, give me Carlin's wit and give me Eddie Murphy's charisma. And I think those are the, that would be the super comic that I would set loose on a 90 city tour base level ticket, $200. I'll tell you a comic I've always enjoyed is a uh, Damon Wayans. Um, I think he's one that gets underrated. You know, Damon is interesting in that. He's such a good actor as well that you forget that he was a beast with them jokes, a beast. And so, you know, he's a guy that I um, that I still enjoy uh, watching right now. But, you know, Sinbad was the be all end all. George Carlin was the be all end all for me growing up. Rondale Sheridan as well. If you watch a little bit of me, it's it's probably I'm. Rundale Sheridan after three shots of whiskey, <laughs> you know, a little bit of that, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, there's just, there's just so many people from those early days era. You know, I didn't even get to mention Chris Rock, but you only gave me three and I'm kind of sprinkling, you know, mad scientists ingredients of each. And if you get the wit of Carlin, then you don't need the wit of rock and rock's charisma is equal to Eddie's. Eddie's probably a little bit more cause there's a little more sex appeal and you know, all of that stuff, but you know, with no disrespect to Chris rock. I like that you're in Canada and you're drinking a Canada dry. That's very, they don't even drink them up here. Here's what's crazy. They don't really put Canada dry in Canada. They drink Schweppes and A and W and like all of these other brands. I'm like, this is yours. What about RC Cola or Royal Crown Cola? Is that what is that named after the Brits? Maybe I don't know. I didn't know that. Probably so. I need to find some Canada Dry. Not Canada Dry. I need to find some clearly Canadian and bring that back. I'm bringing extra luggage next week for our next (laughs) week. Yeah, you're like on a ten day tour, two week tour, or something like that. Twenty five day twenty. 20 cities in 25 days. But in Canada, yeah, how long are you in Canada? Like 10-day rips, and then you get like two days off to go back to the States and fit in your own home, and, and then you're right back out the door. Hey, I, I like that, just going back to the comics, and you said the things, you know, the different pieces you like from Carlin and Ed Murphy and Sinbad. Uh, also met him on a USO tour once as well, uh, so he, many years ago. But for you specifically, do you have a memorable set that bombed and the you feel like it gave you a gift afterward? Mm. The Apollo Theater I bombed at was a pretty tough one. I I didn't get booed, but it's it's a story I've told in the past, uh, another podcast, just about how 
I knew I was about to get booed. So I cut my set early and said, good night. And then I went back out there to get judged with, you know, with Kiki Shepard comes out to, you know, audience, give it up for the first comedian. Yay. All right. Now give it up for the second comedian. Boo. And I got booed worse then than had I just stayed out there the first time and gotten the boo then. So this idea that you can't run from failure, you can't hide from it. That was a that was a huge lesson that I learned that night and that you have to just be present in the moment. It did not work tonight. But the thing that I've learned most from failure in comedy is that most people have a short memory. Um, most audiences are not going to remember not liking you. You know, we can't even remember. Like, it, it's just. Each week is a new opportunity to get it right. And so once I looked at it like that, I became less attached to failure and the sense or the feeling of permanence that is sometimes perceived within it. I don't have that anymore. And so, you know, that was, but it was the Apollo that kind of taught me that lesson of you can't hide from that. Failure's going to find you when it does absorb it and then get back to the grind. I, I love that. And actually a follow-up question I had, but I think you just answered was, what's your advice to anyone, whether it's their first time bombing or whatever their pursuit is at the time to best recover, or how do you recover from your first time bombing on stage? But is that the advice you would give to comics that you're mentoring? Yeah. I mean, find the people you like and find video of them sucking, and then it'll give you perspective. Failure hurts, but failure is where the lessons are learned. So... You know, I tell my son, there's no such things as losses. There's only lessons. Failure is the best educator you could ever get. So you should embrace failing and look at it as an opportunity to improve. Sometimes within those scripts, like I read YouTube comments about me. I read Reddit comments because every now and then somewhere in the midst of all of that, just random, just Internet trolling hatred is a legitimate, fair critique about something that I could have done better or that I should have considered. And I think within that is growth, especially when you're talking about the daily show and what we do. And with regards to trying to present content that speaks to X, Y, Z issue of the day as well. I mean, you're giving just a lot of straight, honest answers. And I, I really do appreciate that. Uh, I know you're short on time. So I just, I do have a couple of wrap up questions um, and some lighter questions too, just to kind of close it out. On uh, a funnier note, as you take another drink of your Canada dry. <laughs> but what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love besides Canada dry? Mm. Habit. Let me look around the room. Because I always, I always tell the comics, you are who you are on the road. That is the truest version of yourself and your psyche and your nuances because you are alone. And it is the one time where you can really be yourself because you feel like in a hotel, it doesn't count. Um, I'm into jigsaw puzzles, video games. Um, I went to a card expo while I was in Toronto and 
realized that I still like baseball cards. I still like collecting cards. Like, I didn't think that that was something I was still, you know, into, you know, but I am. A new habit is going out and recording video of myself on mass transit for my son to watch because he likes trains and cars and, you know, all of that type of shit. That's cool. So, yeah, so I'll go out and record that. I'm not sure if that's, like, you know, weird. Like, I'm not into paying hookers to, you know, to call me racial slurs or, like, I don't have kinks (laughs) or anything like that. That took a left turn. But You like those five chicken nuggets, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Tell me that I got to pay for extra sauce, baby. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, no, I'm, I'm actually very serene, man. You know, like there's just so much, so much of my life is involved with meeting and connecting with other people that the road is often the place where I do nothing. And it's, and it's weird in that I enjoy that and let people find that weird, but you know, I'm comfortable. I'm I'm comfortable in that place. Like to me, my idea of a perfect vacation is traveling somewhere beautiful and never leaving the hotel room. And I can't explain it, but that's that's perfect for me. I just want to look out the window and see it. But I don't want to fucking go out there. <laughs> you know? I'd rather stay in the house. Two last uh, quick questions is let's say that if we're at this fancy hotel in this beautiful, you know, on vacation in this, you know, exotic location, beautiful hotel, but you don't want to go outside. You're looking outside your window and you see this giant billboard with your message on it for the world to see where would it be? Like what city or location? And what would your message say? Oh, Oh. Uh, let's go backwards first. Don't be afraid to take chances. No fear. Okay. As quoted in my high school yearbook, still a quote I live by. Um, It would be somewhere cold. That's for sure. Because I like the winter. Or it would be raining. It'd be like 45 in the drizzle. Maybe London. Okay. Maybe London. I kind of want to say Cleveland because that's where I enjoy doing comedy the most. Or Dayton, where I'm where I'm living right now. Yeah, Dayton's okay, but Cleveland's more miserable. They appreciate the jokes more. <laughs> you gotta do the jokes in a in a place where people are just frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, London or Cleveland. You can't get any more <laughs> different <laughs> than those two towns. Even for Cleveland, LeBron he went back for four years, gave him hope again. Wanted, he did win a title, but then he yeah. just said, you know what? I'm out again. Peace. Deuces. Yeah. LeBron is the worst thing that happened to Cleveland because he like made them think they could always be this good. <laughs> and then he left. Twice. <laughs> uh, we're taking down your picture. <laughs> it always makes you think of uh, Joe Kim Noah when, you know, when the Bulls would have those battles with the Cavs in the playoffs and He'd say like, "Who wants who who wants to go to Cleveland?" I mean, he'd be always just uh, just tear up Cleveland. And uh, anyway, <laughs> hey, uh, last question: uh, One day a movie will be made about your life. What would the name of that movie be? Who would play you in the movie? I do have a recommendation. Um, and who would most importantly, who would play me? <laughs> who would play you? I'm gonna go. Um... I'm going to go um, 
ah, what's his name? Zach something, the Disney kid with the muscles. It's not Zach Braff. That's definitely not the same Zach. <laughs> it's like one of those heartthrob. So he was supposed to be the next Tom Cruise, but wasn't. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. So more, more importantly, who would play you and what would the name of the movie be? Who would play me in a movie about me? I don't know. It depends on what part of my life uh, you're touching on. That's a good question. There's not a lot of young, chubby actors. It, it would just it would have to be Keenan Thompson. They'd have to just do that digital young them up <laughs> AI shit. I have a recommendation that's more flattering, I think. The, the title the title of the movie would just be The Boy from Birmingham. I like that. That's really good. I'm about to write Keenan Thompson. That's uh that's really good. Who's your pick? Who's your pick to play me? Don't say Denzel. Not well, close, Idris Elba, because the resemblance is uncanny. <laughs> and, uh, and Roy, but Martin. it would be, but it would be Stringer Bell version of uh, of Idris, right? So, oh, from, so American accent. Oh, yeah, thank right. You. Yeah, so his the wire, you know, and he's just got that stare. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's not Idris, and you're letting him loose with his British accent to play an American Southerner. He can probably do it though. Might I have a spot of the cheese grits? Yeah. <laughs> Not that he talks like the Idris Elba. I'm sorry. I have nothing but respect for you, professional. And I don't want you to think I'm a hater. I'm not a hater. About to get me canceled, Martin. No, no, no. Uh, hey, Roy, I don't want to take up because I was, I was promised 30 minutes and I don't want to take up any more of your time. So I'm just I'm just grateful for the 30 minutes. Brother, thank you, man. Thank, thank you. you so much for having me, man. Yeah, of and course. I hope to see you again. Hopefully not in the Middle East. No, I've, I've checked out your tour schedule. Uh, so I'm in Dayton. It's about two hours from Indianapolis. And I forget when that show in Indy is, but uh, I'm planning yeah. just to go there just because it's 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 only two hours, hour and a half, um, you know, quick weekend trip. Yeah, but, uh, myself and Jordan Klepper will be around. We'll nice. be out there for sure. Yeah, I'll probably see in the next couple months. But again, this interview is take this has been over. I've had my podcast for six years. I'm When I met you 13 years ago, I knew I wanted to have something with you. So the fact that this has all come f- full circle, a couple years to plan. Thank you so much. I am truly grateful, Roy. Brother, thank you, man. Good to talk to you, man. All right, later, bro. Yes, sir. That concludes another episode of Passing the Torch. Big thanks to my guest, Roy Wood Jr. Here's a recap of the episode. A couple of quotes that really stuck with me from the podcast include, one is, so this idea that you can't run from failure, you can't hide from it, that was a huge lesson that I learned from that night and that you just have to be present in the moment. Also, Roy shared a story about a memorable comedy set that bombed at the famous Apollo Theater. He said, at the Apollo, that kind of taught me that lesson of you can't hide from that. Failure is going to find you. When it does, absorb it and then get back to the grind. Lastly, Roy shared something that he always tells his son. Failure hurts, but failure is where the lessons are learned. There's no such thing as losses. There's only lessons. Failure is the best educator you could ever get. So you should embrace failing and look at it as an opportunity to prove. Folks, if you have not yet, please hit that follow or subscribe button wherever you are listening. It helps the show more than I could possibly explain. I make zero money from this podcast. Actually, it costs me my own money and time. But I do this because I enjoy it and I do believe it helps people. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. And finally, remember, vision, relate, develop. Take care, everyone. Foster out.